time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in 5th Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack, lucky enough to be joined by my man Eric Tangrady. So much going on in our worlds. We joked about it a couple weeks ago. I feel, yeah, it was a couple weeks ago now, I guess, Tango. Uh, our kids, little balls of disease that they are. Mine are a little older than yours, but uh, they've got us running around, keeping us us out of commission sometimes. Sometimes we're just trying to keep them in check. It's like we're the uh, it's like we're the third line enforcers for our families. We're, we're doing all the dirty work that nobody else wants to do, man. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't pay very well either. Uh, that's the biggest difference. <laughs> A salary of zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Let's talk about the Pens and where they're at. They got three games left. A big win over Minnesota Thursday night. Um, big that they got it against the Flower, too, who everybody was was celebrating uh, pregame and warm-ups and then after the game as well. He's always going to be uh, – Penguins fans are always going to have a soft spot for, for Marc-Andre Fleury, and he's always going to have a soft spot for them. But it's another win to continue this pattern now. The last nine games in a row. Win-loss, 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 win. Um, other than uh, some Dramamine, uh, is there a cure for this up-down, up-down that's given us seasickness here? Um, is there a cure for more consistency out of this team? Is it maybe just the fact that they've got three below-water teams who aren't going to the playoffs staring them in the face that perhaps they can – rattle these three wins off, catch Florida or New York, get themselves into the playoffs and maybe have some kind of momentum going into a first round series if they make it? Yeah, absolutely. And if they're going to have any sort of success in the playoffs, like consistency is going to be the biggest challenge for them. Uh, I, I just pulled up on my screen, like we talked about down the stretch, who's going to like start playing playoff hockey the earliest. And you see Florida five wins in a row, six and four in the last 10, you know, the Islanders six, three and one in their last 10 and then the pens just five and five. So whatever's happened to this point, you just kind of have to park it and just, it is what it is. You have three games against opponents. You're supposed to beat. Let like when puck drops, let's play, let's start playing playoff hockey right now. So um, we've been having a lot of the same conversations, definitely the, the definition of insanity. But I think at this point, uh, if you asked all of us if they were in this situation with three games to play, with essentially controlling their own destiny, we'll, we'll, we'll call it that. Uh, they pretty much have to go three and zero, I think, to to solidify a playoff spot, in my opinion. Yeah, I could see a path with only winning two of them. It would maybe include a loser's point in the third game, but you don't you don't want to leave that up to chance, especially when you're chasing in the standings. Um, like you said, though, they did start fast against the Wild. Uh, Chris Letang scoring quick out of the gate uh, and it felt like they were ready to go from the hop unlike against New Jersey a couple nights before that when they just looked lost and I'll be honest that's the that's the most disillusioned I've heard Mike Sullivan sound I think post game in his Penguins career after that Tuesday loss to the Devils that honestly sounded like a guy Eric who didn't know what buttons to push might not have even known where the buttons were let alone which ones to push yeah, he's in a situation where he's probably exercised all of his, uh, we'll call it the tools in his toolbox on like what he needs to do to get a, a normal team going or get results or get consistency. And he just seemed almost perplexed in his uh, his statements of, I'm kind of out of tools at this point. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's just been the challenge all along is they get kicked in the teeth on Tuesday. They respond and play one of their best games on Thursday. But, like, can they continue to play consistent hockey? It's almost like this is it. This this three-game stretch will probably tell us the entire story of this team. If you haven't watched them all year and you watch these next three games, I'm pretty sure you could write a pretty good thesis on what kind of hockey team they were at this point. Yeah, we had a good conversation this morning on the morning show, though, about the idea of – you know, you say it at the beginning of the year when you start the season, every game counts the same, right? Because you're trying to impart this sense of urgency in early to, to mid-October, um, and yet you don't really feel it. I, I don't think as a I, – I, you, you could enlighten me. Maybe you do feel it as a player, but I think as a fan, you definitely don't feel it. You know, if I go back and look now, I, for, for six months, I had put out of mind – like there was a, a particularly ugly loss on the road to Vancouver back in like late October where they lost five to one. And I had forgotten about that until I went back and looked and I was like, oh yeah, that loss sucks just as much now as a loss to the, you know, come from behind or come from ahead losses to the Islanders or losing to Montreal or Ottawa at home or losing to the Sharks before the All-Star break. They all count the same in the standings and there's going to be at least half a dozen, if not, you know, maybe double digit games we could look back on and go, Man, if they just would have showed up for that one, maybe that's the two points that gets them in. Yeah, and and I think it's even deeper than that. Like some of those games, I, I'm thinking one period, let alone right. like they didn't show up for the whole game. Like one shift, one five minute stretch, one save, one you know there there is literally. I know it's compiled to this point, but there are so many like small events that have happened throughout the season where. I don't really think we would be overly surprised if like this team was sitting in the three seed with a hundred points. Like I feel like they had the ability to, 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 to have that type of season. Now that being said, like that's just not the results that they have. I mean, I look at goal differential mm-hmm. uh, of all the teams in the race right now for the playoffs. Like they're the only team that's in a, a negative goal differential, like not a recipe for success, not a recipe for penguins hockey to have success uh, in the past. But the only good thing about, and what we've kind of talked about is like you could talk two weeks ago, like, hey, fellas, this is the most important game of the year. And you're in the room like, oh, OK, what? Yeah, right. you're right. It is. But like every period is the most important period of the year for these guys. And it, it, it the, the writing's on the wall. So I do expect like a type of urgency that maybe some of that veteran group that's just so used to winning and having success and just assuming it's going to come. And the younger guys, the, the same thing, like oh, wow, we're a point back in the standings with three to go. Like, we can't even take a shift off. I hope we see that moving forward, especially with the result they had against Minnesota. Well, one of, one of the things that will lead to success, and you're right, it, it, for people that say, oh, are they going to get in the playoffs? They're in the playoffs now, essentially. They've got to win from here on out. Um, one of the, th- the, the recipes for success, and I'll lean on your coaching acumen here, um, the special teams have not been good the last few weeks. Eight of their last 46 on the power play. That's just barely 17%. Um, the PK, they've given up 11 goals on their last 38 penalty kills. That's close to a 29% success rate for the opposition there. Um, that's something that even if they do win these final three games, that's going to bury them come playoff time against a team like Boston, especially. Yes, absolutely. The, the, this, the, the way this team it gets in the playoffs and the way this team is successful in the playoffs is they have to win the special teams battle because on paper, five on five, 
they don't match up well against uh, pretty much anybody in the Eastern Conference. But what I can say with that much firepower and that much um, talent, if they can outscore teams in the power play, like they can win a lot of games. They have the offensive ability to sneak a greasy road hockey game because of their power play. Now, where it is right now, like that's not not even close to good enough. Like that power play needs to be clicking probably 20 plus percent for me right. to to be able to, as if I'm a betting man or someone with educated hockey advisor, like that's the way that they have to win a series. What do you see in this power play? I, the penalty kill, I think, might be more a matter of personnel. They get Ruda back. They get a couple other grittier guys back in the lineup. Maybe it's just a matter of mentality and personnel. Um, but on the power play, you know, I think back to the five-on-three against the Bruins uh, last weekend in particular, and everything's on the perimeter. I'm not seeing pucks go into the middle of the ice. I'm rarely seeing pucks cut across the ice. And most importantly, we're not getting – what I think has become a, a staple of success on this power play when they do have it, which is north south movement in the zone. Um, we haven't seen that. And it, it's just, it strikes me that there's a whole lot of looking for the perfect shot on the power play right now. Yeah, I think that they are valuing possession a little bit too much in the sense of like, okay, now we have it. Let's just pass it around. Um, from my experience and, and, and over the years of being a successful power play player, even in the minors, um, everything has to start off with a shot. So once you have a shot on net, well, then what happens? Then puck pursuit becomes everything. Who are those guys driving that first power play unit to pursue pucks? I mean, you have you have Gensel, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, um, and then um, who am I missing? I'm missing one more. But you, you just have to – yeah, Raquel. Yeah. You, you, the, to me, like – you almost need a one forward checker in that group to pursue pucks because every seam, anything that ever opens on a power play has to happen off of a shot. And they get mm -hmm. that shot and they just seem like a very one and done power play where we work the perimeter, we get to the weak side, we take that one timer. Now what? Now are we in full on like five on five mode of retrieving pucks and getting back to our spots where to me, it's like they get that shot and everyone's just kind of waiting on who's going to fight to pursue that puck. And I think right. that's why you've seen at times, that second unit has had some more success because they're a little bit more meat and potatoes where everyone knows we're going to shoot and that's okay. But are we pursuing pucks? Once we get puck pursuit, then the seams open, then the good things happen. And I think that's what's missing on that unit is someone that is willing to just pursue pucks and keep the plays alive after that shot. It, it almost makes you, makes you wonder. And I know they don't want to mess with personnel on that first power play unit. You know, you hesitate to take a guy like Jake Gensel off the power play where he's found most of his goal scoring success this year. But you know, would a Jason Zucker out there on the first power play unit give them that extra little bit of bite that they need, um, especially to go after pucks in the dirty areas of the ice, whether it's down below the goal line, behind the net, or right there in the crease, in the in the greasy areas. One thing that has helped the power play in the past when Sidney Crosby's been hot. He's not hot right now, Eric. Two goals in his last 14 games. And I'll ask you this. You tell me. We've never seen Sidney Crosby. Um, give in to age or injury other than when he had his battles with concussion-like symptoms. But this is 35-year-old Sidney Crosby. And I, I'm not counting on it being age that's catching up to Sidney Crosby because I know what he does to try and keep himself in shape. I'm sure he's in shape. But this is only the second time in his career that he will have played an entire 82-game season in the regular season. I'm worried that perhaps at 35, he doesn't recover maybe as quickly as he used to. And this is starting to catch up to him. And it could lead to, again, 
even if they do get into the playoffs, it could lead to some issues in that first round series, whoever it's against. Yeah, no. And I mean, I, I was spending some time this morning looking over his, like his minutes this year. And obviously I haven't studied the Penguins game by game uh, for the last few years, but I don't ever remember him being like 20 to 25 minutes every single night. I mean, that is a lot to ask out of a centerman who's playing against other teams, top lines uh, in a full 82 game season. Like you said, like, maybe he needed somebody to tell him like not to go to the all-star game. Maybe, you know, mm. there are certain moments in the season where he needs to just take a step back. He's an unbelievable hockey player. probably the best to ever play in my opinion, but to tell somebody like that to take a step back can be hard at times. But I think down the stretch that many minutes um, when Sid is in these kind of slumps, like I'm looking at his shot totals. Yeah. He had a nine shot game against Nashville, but, like he's a five plus shots on goal type of player every single game. And he's pretty much driving somewhere around probably averaging around three shots a game in this mm. mini slump that he's in. So I would just like him to get more shots on net and hopefully playing less than 20 in these last two games with the blowout in New Jersey and having a little bit of a lead against Minnesota will hopefully give him a little breath of fresh air to get, get ramped up. But that's a lot to ask out of him. Yeah. It's a good point you make, too, that, you know, you'd love to be able to manage minutes on Sid, but when his line is one of the only two lines in your lineup that's providing constant offensive pressure, you're not afforded that opportunity. This isn't a team that has an HBK line or a Stall cook kennedy line that can go out there and provide offensive punch uh, and also play a 200-foot game. You know, when you're counting on Crosby's and Malkin's lines to do that constantly – those guys aren't going to get the kind of break that keeps them fresh when you do come around to late March, early April. You're, it, it, it's just that's a, another byproduct of not winning games you should have won earlier in the season is now you can't limit Sid's minutes, really, because like you said earlier, every shift, every period matters. Yeah, and I, I think that was the biggest takeaway. Um, if people haven't listened, even though it's a week later, like the, the Ray Ferraro interview was like out of this world. I think he did he an unbelievable great. job of almost humbling uh, our fan base a little bit when, you know, we're coming off that huge win and he's like, pump the brakes, like Nashville's beat up, um, you know, Boston's weakness is their age up front. So what has Boston been doing in the last couple of weeks, like managing Krejci, managing Bergeron, like giving those guys an opportunity to kind of just like take a deep breath before a long playoff run. Even the young players like the Tampa Bays, right? You had Kucherov miss a whole season and come into the playoffs fresh. Wait till Colorado gets a, a healthy Gabriel Landeskog probably back right. for this playoff. Like I'm sure he could have played two months ago, but why not give him extra time? Um, that is the recipe right now. Is like you're going to endure war. You're preparing for a three month war. And no disrespect to our service members, I we use that term in the hockey. Yeah, call, but yeah, um, like these guys are going to go through hell and back for three months and to be rested at that age, like to give you the most success. Like that's. That's what worries me about even this playoff run. Like he needs to play 22 to 25 every single game. If it goes seven, he's got to do that. And that's a tough, yeah. tough ask out of someone like Sid uh, as he gets a little older. You mentioned uh, the talk I had with Ray Ferraro last week. I thought his playoff proposal was pretty interesting in talking about it, it was very similar, it sounded like to me, to the NBA play in proposal, which if we had that this year, yeah, the Penguins would be securely in a playoff spot, if you want to call it that, but it would be a, a play-in spot, right? Like, they would be, I think, eighth right now. Or no, ninth, obviously, in the Eastern Conference. So they would have to play a game against, what, Buffalo, I believe it would be, 
uh, in order to move on to the second play-in game against uh, the winner of the Islanders or the loser of the Islanders and Panthers. Um, we talk all the time about tweaking the playoff field and how much we miss maybe the one through eight format that was standard for years. Um, some people like the fact that we get divisional matchups uh, steadily year after year, but then you have people who say, well, the, the Lightning and the Maple Leafs have basically just been jockeying for home ice for the last three months and really haven't had as much to play for. Um, what about a play-in system like the NBA's or just a tweak back to the one through eight format? Are you okay? What do you think of the current playoff field and whether it needs to be changed? I do think it needs to be changed because I think like, like you said, like the late in the season, how much like importance do a lot of these games have when in in reality, a lot of things are solidified. Like if you look at both sides, you have Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh playing for something. And then you pretty much have Winnipeg and Calgary are the only two teams uh, and, and Nashville obviously is in that too. But like, I would love, that format that he proposed. I think it would be incredible. When you talk about a, a league who is the playoffs, a play, like you talk to the, the non-casual hockey fan, they say, oh man, I don't watch the regular season, but I love the playoffs. Right. Now you have a, a fan base in Buffalo that has something to get excited for. Ottawa's a young, hungry team. Detroit's on their way up. Like The, the NHL struggled from a revenue standpoint compared to every other league. You would think that they would have been the pioneers to implement this more than any other sport because playoff revenue is, is off the charts. I bet you if you looked at all the averages and attendance for Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo, you give those two guaranteed playoff or you know, best of five series or whatever that may be, best of three series, you give them an extra playoff game to sell out inflated prices, revenue is going to go through the roof. Yeah, and, and even if it were just the, the one-game play-in like the NBA does, I think anytime you add that instant elimination drama uh, like they've done in the NBA, like you like they used to do with the wild-card games in Major League Baseball, um, that, that instant one-game bang, you've got an instant Game 7 atmosphere wherever it's being played. Um, I think that would be huge. And like you said, it, the Red Wings, the Senators, they'd still be in the conversation. Buffalo would be in the conversation. Uh, Nashville, Calgary, and Winnipeg would would not just be battling for the final playoff spot, but battling to maybe uh, get a, an opportunity to win the seven seed away from Seattle, if that were a possibility, uh, if we were talking about the NBA system, or even just one through eight. Go back to that even, and I, I'd, I'd be okay with it. Something about the same teams playing each other every year um, doesn't quite do it for me, although Ray did point out as well, it, we're likely to get a Devils-Rangers series this year uh, which would be huge. We haven't had one of those in a long time. So before I let you run uh, and enjoy your Easter weekend, Tango, uh, I got to ask, in honor of Chris Letang's 1,000th and now 1,001st NHL games, it always floors me the bi and sometimes trilingual abilities of hockey players. Now, you grew up out on the other side of Pennsylvania. I don't, I know, I don't think Delco is an official language yet, um, but it, 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 Joe Flacco, um, yeah. but it's close. Uh, that being said, an, an official foreign language, does Eric Tangrady have a best foreign language? Did you have to learn any, uh, you, you were in the Montreal system for a little while, right? Um, and did you ever have a moment where you screwed up a foreign language in a big way? It's not that I can remember. I mean, I'll be honest, like, <laughs> Most times when you're playing somewhere where the language isn't like your, your number first or even second language, I, I never really got a chance to specialize in a second language. Like 
I went up and played in Ontario. So I've pretty much mastered like five different accents, but never a second <laughs> language just because of all the places that I played. I mean, I grew up in Philly. I moved to Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, I played junior hockey in Canada. Um, I played in Michigan. Like I literally have touched almost all of these unique accents all throughout my career, but never had to deal with um, a true second language. And when in Montreal, you you know, you'd have a French guy that would kind of lead the charge at dinner and take you around and do all right. those things. And uh, in Russia, same thing. You'd have a Russian guy who would help you with the language in any way that he could. But only thing I've mastered over the years is the swear words, because those are the ones you hear most <laughs> on the bench, whether that be a Russian player with Gino um, or a French player, uh, what you play with what you hear the most of is the, uh, the swear words. Did you ever marvel? Like, I remember Gino when he first came over. I mean, he, he, he was, he was scared to be quite honest to want to go in front of the English speaking media without, uh, his translator, uh, his interpreter, George, I think his name was, um, who would help him out. And then it's, it always strikes me though, to see guys like Chris Letang, even when he first came up, um, his English was really broken to see guys gradually, learn English as their second language to the point where now, I mean, Gino uh, did an interview on ABC after one of the games uh, earlier this season when they were on national TV, Chris Letang goes out there and, and has no problem speaking English. Um, That, that just, that always struck me how quickly guys would pick it up and become comfortable with it. If you threw me, like when you had to go over to the KHL, if you threw me over in Russia for a week, and told me, sorry, you're on your own, kid. I'd be a disaster. I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it three days. You'd be surprised just the locker room environment. What you pick up being force fed that information. Yeah. I mean, I think um, Gino having Gonchar early on in his career probably like hindered his language a little bit because he could just rely on him all the time. And then there was those years where he probably didn't have any help at all in the locker room, and that's where his his English developed more than ever. The funny thing about Gino is he speaks way better English even five, six years ago, but he, he has a great excuse to not have to talk to the media. I don't understand. I don't understand. And you always kind of remember, you know, like laughing and just like, oh, no, nope, sorry, don't understand what the PR people. So right. um, being forced to, 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 to have to listen and, and speak that language and understand or have no choice kind of forces you to grow uh, and develop it very, very quickly. And I think that's what happened to these guys in this environment, in this locker room. Well, I'll let you run and enjoy the holiday weekend. Hopefully everyone stays healthy, and uh, we'll see if this team can secure enough in the final three games to sneak their way into the playoffs. I know we'd all appreciate, even if it's a tough series against the Bruins on tap, we'd all appreciate at least another four or five, maybe six hockey games to sit back and watch. And like you said, the high-stakes nature of Stanley Cup playoff hockey is always a lot more fun as well. Appreciate the time today, man. We'll catch up soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks. Great stuff from Tango, as always. Yeah, Gino, uh, it, 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 I don't know why it shocks me. He's been here a long time, admittedly. He and Latang both. But that second language thing, I, I think I could spend 18 years in Russia and probably never pick it up. 18 years in Quebec, for that matter. And I, parlay view? I don't know. Um, anyway, from that to the Penguins' opponent on Saturday afternoon, the Red Wings. Eh, Last time the Pens went to Detroit, it led me to, within this much, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, this close to come within a a mental breakdown where I just muttered pizza, 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 pizza under my breath constantly 
after David Perron lit up Casey DeSmith in the third period. Is there reason to believe the Penguins could get past the Red Wings this time and then beat Chicago and Columbus as well in the final week? We'll talk to Max Boltman, Red Wings beat writer for The Athletic, about where the Red Wings are right now and the uh, 50,000-foot view, or I guess 400-mile-away view of the Penguins from Max in Detroit. That's next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.